You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You are what we call home ice advantage. You create the atmosphere, you bring the energy, you bring the passion, you bring the smiles. Islanders country, hello, this is P.T. Isles, the In the Toy Department edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, I'll be joined by Peter Schwartz of New York Sports Day and the Schwartz on Sports podcast. He's been to almost every Islander ceremony in history, and he'll share his thoughts on John Tonelli night and Butch Goring Day and much more in just a little bit. But first, everything was just going so perfect for the second time in little over a week. The Islanders raised a banner to the rafters as Butch Goring's 91 now resides in the toy department. Governor Andrew Cuomo was on hand after the ceremony to announce the Islanders would be playing their entire 2020-21 season at the Coliseum and that all playoff games if there are playoffs, will be played there this year. Cal Clutterbuck and Andy Green were back on the ice and in the lineup. That was all the good stuff. The bad was that the Islanders were once again outclassed at home by the Boston Bruins, this time 4-0 on Saturday afternoon, a game that uh, was really lost in the first 10 minutes when the Islanders fell down 2 to nothing. Now, 
you know, both goals were, were really fluky. The first you had the incidental contact between Andy Green and Bergeron interfering with Rolomov, knocked him um, outside the crease, leading to the uh, Pasternak goal. You're going to give the guy with the elite league in goals uh, pretty much an open net from anywhere. He's going to capitalize on that. And then the second was even more fluky as a cross-ice pass uh, ricocheted off of Johnny Boychuk's knee-shin area and into the back of the net. Um, Islanders had a decent second period. Game kind of became leveled off at that point, and they had some push after killing that five-on-three. But uh, when Marshawn scored midway through the third period, uh, that was pretty much the game, losing 4 nothing. And really from the start, you know, you just felt like the Islanders were – you know, a step behind the Bruins, a team that was certainly playing top-notch hockey on top of their game and showing everyone why they're the top team in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, they really dominated the game for long, long stretches. Islanders played almost the entire first period in their own zone. When they had opportunities, it was one and done and back the other way down the ice. And, um, you know, you just wanted to expect more from that team, especially on a day where you have the big ceremony before the game. You have a sellout crowd you have a lot of energy and enthusiasm and nostalgia in the building and uh to come out flat like that a little bit you know you were hoping they were going to be able to withstand uh that first period and then find a way to kind of get their skates underneath them but um you know like i said before when they fell behind down two nothing early um they were chasing the game they were chasing the bruins or unable uh to uh come back on them whatsoever barry trotz though after the game he was not a glass half empty guy still felt that the team has played some positive hockey in the last stretch despite this 4 nothing shutout loss and here's what he had to say to the media after the game they play a man's game we didn't have all our men and board some guys played a little less than they needed to and you can't do that against these teams and then they don't beat themselves and uh, you know I, I use the term guessing we start to guess on pucks we start to guess on our forecheck we start to poke and hope, uh, and we don't play through people, and that's not how you win you know, this time of year, and that's not how you win championships. And those two teams are good illustrations of they play through people. They don't guess. And uh, you know, some of our guys right now, are the details are mattering right now, and uh, they're trying to force things that aren't there. So, um, But... We're not that far off either, so uh, there's a lot of positives to that. Um, you know, we arguably could have had, uh, you, know, you know, we just played the Rangers, who have been the hottest team in the National Hockey League, playing very, very well. Um, and then we went to St. Louis and then, and then Boston, and, uh, you know, we played uh, you know, some pretty good hockey in the last nine periods. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting tested, but you're finding out a lot about yourselves as well, so... We're not that far off, and we just could clean up a few things, and we'll be right there. You know, so Barry Trotz not getting too low after the 4 nothing shutout loss at home to the Boston Bruins. And, you know, I think he just felt like that team was dialed in, and uh, the Islanders were not. And, and when that happens, that's the type of result you're going to get. But, you know, overall, I think he thinks that this last stretch here, and, you know, they probably outplayed the Rangers, who were coming in as the hottest team in the league, and, um, got the Brock Nelson goal late in the third to to kind of you know they steal or they stole a point but they earned that point in that game and then they went to St Louis and playing the top team out west the uh, Stanley Cup champions and you know uh, a game they lead two to one um, you know late in the third period um, 
Nick Letty tries to poke check away. It stays on the blue line. And then Ryan Pulak has a really weak clear with the backhand. Um, leads to a tight game-tying goal. And then they lose on the wraparound. Um, is it the puck kind of deflects off Anthony Beauvillier's stick over Thomas Grice's pad um, midway through that overtime period? So, you know, Barry, I think, is a guy who, you know, if they're playing poorly, he's going to he's gonna call it out. And for whatever reason, um, as this calendar here has finally flipped over to March, Islanders finishing the month of September 6-6-3, he's, he's kind of looking at it as almost a fresh start here. Um, he had a quote here um, after uh, Monday's morning skate. You know, quote, just because you get punched in the nose doesn't mean that you throw in the towel. You get punched in the nose, you bleed a little bit, and you get back up, and you punch back. You need to punch back a little more, stay in the fight a little longer. Uh, that's Barry Trotz, not the latest <laughs> not the latest script from a newest Rocky Balboa film. And um, really the theme between him and the players, um, I guess here Monday at the skate was, you know, that they're, that they're close, that they're not far off, that this team has another gear in them that they can get to, and... For whatever reason, they feel like they're on the cusp of finding it. And, um, you know, look at what those reasons may be. Well, you know, one reason may be because they're due. Um, they've been in a malaise really now for almost three months since the 17-game uh, point streak ended. So they are due to play some really good hockey. They haven't put together a stretch of three, four, five wins in a row in a really long time now. And, um, you know... They're starting to get what should look like their optimum lineup back. Casey Zizekas is starting to skate, probably still a couple of weeks away, but you got Cal Clutterbuck back. You have Andy Green healthy to be in that lineup. So now you have your you know three defense pair all set with Dobson as the seventh uh, D-man. Um, you get back into your goalie rotation a little bit more with Varlamov and Grice. And um, obviously with uh, J.G. Pajot now being acquired, you have – you know, three lines that you can roll out and a fourth line that, you know, is still missing your other centerman here right now. But, um, you know, you got to feel pretty good about or you should feel pretty good about uh, despite um, obviously them needing to find some more scoring right now. Jordan Everly has been the hottest goal scorer for the team. They needed a couple other guys to pick it up. And um, there really hasn't been a stretch in this, you know, last few months where all facets of the team are kind of clicking on all cylinders like they once were. Now, are you going to be able to do that twice in a year to have a you know 17 game point streaks? I don't think is what fans are looking for. They just need to play a good couple weeks of hockey and pick up eight of ten points or you know ten of fourteen points, and they'll put themselves in rock solid playoff position because as 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 daunting as the Metro has been uh, throughout this year and all the moves that the Metropolitan Division made at the trade deadline. Most of the division has regressed outside of the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Rangers. Uh, the Flyers are now in the second spot, um, right on the heels of the Capitals for possibly taking over the division lead. And if it wasn't for the Flyers, possibly the, the Rangers right now could be in a playoff position because uh, they, they remain four points behind the Islanders, Islanders with the game in hand. But uh, every other team, Pittsburgh now losing six in a row. Islanders find themselves, after the last three games, going 0-1-2, and two, picking up two out of a possible six points, and yet they stayed in the top wildcard position all along. They have 77 points. There's 18 games left to play. You know, they go 10-8, and eight, which is not a great record. They're looking at 97 points. Um, you know, you go 11-6-1, and one, and you're at 100 points. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility uh, for this team to find their way and then find their way into a good playoff position. And like I said earlier, outside of the Boston Bruins 
any other team that you're going to play in that first round most likely is going to be a coin flip because you're not going to play Tampa in the first round because Boston's going to win the division. And whether it's the Flyers or the Capitals or the Penguins or whomever, it's going to be a tough matchup. And it's going to be a bit of a coin flip series and one that you would expect to go six, seven games. So you got to get in. And it starts on Tuesday night in Brooklyn against the Montreal Canadiens. And those are the type of games that no excuses. You have to get two points. Okay, you survived. You got through this little tough stretch. You wish you could have got another point or two in the game in the stretch against the Rangers, Bruins, and, and Blues. You end up getting two points. Okay, well, now you got to start beating the teams you have to beat. And that starts Tuesday against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, before we get to Peter Schwartz, I do want to talk a little bit about the ceremony and, and Butch Gordon, because I think the, the ceremony on Saturday, you know, it felt a little different than John Tonelli night. And I think that's in part because the younger fan base, um, especially there's a connection there with Butch that exists, um, from his time as a coach and, and really more of his time as a broadcaster that has endeared him, um, to the Islanders, um, uh, Islander fan base and, you know, the amount of fun that I think the fans were having, you know, even before the game on social media, uh, finding old clips of Bush and, and not just the ones of him playing, but, um, you know, there was a tremendous compilation of all his kind of infamous moments and, and, and kind of playful gaffes that he had uh, on air over the course of the years uh, that was put together. Uh, someone found an old talent show competition that the Islanders were in in the early 1980s with um, Clark Gillies singing uh, Kenny Rogers and John Tone Deaf Tonelli or John Elvis Tonelli uh, winning the competition, but Butch going out there in, in a tremendous, you know, 1970s Saturday Night Fever type outfit uh, doing his disco dance. And it's hard not to like Butch. And uh, a lot of people said a lot of things throughout the broadcast, but. Um, what I'm going to play now, I think, encompassed everything that Islander fans were feeling, and that comes from his longtime uh, broadcast partner, who he mentioned during the speech, Harry Rose. Here was the message the Islanders' former play-by-play -play man had to give Butch Goring on his special day. Butchie, congratulations, brother. I am thrilled for you. And, you know, I've been giving this a lot of thought lately, and it finally dawned on me that what Ralph Kiner was to the New York Mets, you are to the New York Islanders. And I'm not talking about Malaprops or fun with names. I'm talking about one word, love, because you are clearly among the most beloved figures in the history of the New York Islanders. I know you played 10 years in L.A., but I'm convinced that if they cut you open, they would find a big Islander crest tattooed to your heart. And that's fitting, because nobody played the game, or for that matter, broadcast it with more heart than you did. One of the joys of my career were the years we spent together, especially cracking open a bottle of grape juice on those charters and listening to you tell story after story. And so if Ralph Kiner had Kiner's Corner, well, now we've got Butchie's Banner. And that number 91 should be surrounded by a link because you were the last link to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, teams ever to skate in the National Hockey League. Congratulations, Butchie. I know you've made... Jackie Parker, proud. Great stuff, as always, from Howie Rose. And you heard that last reference about making Jackie Parker proud. So who was Jackie Parker? Well, when Butch was a youngster, his favorite athlete was not a hockey player, but it was a football player named Jackie Parker, who was a player in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, for the Edmonton Eskimos, and he wore 91. His favorite hockey player, he says, was Gordie Howe, but Jackie Parker was his favorite athlete, and he always wanted to wear 91, 
as a hockey player, but, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and when he first turned pro was not fashionable to wear these, you know, higher numbers. Um, So he wanted to wear it, but people wouldn't let him. Um, He wore number 19, of course, um, for the LA Kings for 10 years and then gets traded to the Islanders during the 1980 season. And, you know, maybe not all Islander fans of the younger ilk know this, but he wore number 21 in the 12 games, the last 12 games of the regular season for the Islanders and throughout that first Stanley Cup run. So that first Stanley Cup the Islanders win in 1980, Butch Goring is wearing number 21. Um, But it wasn't until the next season, um, probably fortunate that Lou Lamarillo wasn't the GM, and it was Bill Torrey, allowed him uh, to to ask for and get number 91. And at that point, you know, Wayne Gretzky was in the league, and he was wearing 99, and Phil Esposito was wearing 77. So he felt there was an opportunity to wear 91, and he took it. Obviously, he couldn't wear 19 uh, because of Trottier. So that is how um, Butch Goring ended up with number 91. It's due to Jackie Parker and not uh, anyone else. When we come back... Peter Schwartz of New York Sports Day will be our guest. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. We're now joined by Peter Schwartz of New York Sports Day and the Schwartz on Sports podcast. Peter, how you been? How you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. So, Peter... I know you were there tonight. I knew you were there for Goring Day. And I know now that you have pretty much been at every one of these ceremonies. You've only missed two. Um, and I'm kind of curious to know why uh, you've missed uh, those two ceremonies in your Islander uh, fandom career. Um, well, I, I've, I've been to all the player retirement numbers, so all eight of them, um, including you know Goring and, and Tonelli this year. I was at the Bill Torrey banner night, and I was at the Al Arbor 1500 game. Uh, I missed the 739, the original Al Arbor banner night. I missed that one, and to be honest with you, I can't remember why I missed it. It had to be something work-related, which is why I was not there. So I kind of regret that, but it was cool to be at the 1500 game when he actually coached and the Islanders came back to win, and then they they lowered the 739 banner and raised the 1500 banner. And then there was that series of Hall of Fame nights where they added uh, names to the Islanders Hall of Fame banner whose numbers were not retired. And I was at the Kenny Johnson one, but there were a couple of them that I missed. I was not there for Flatley. I was not there for Morrow, and I was not there for Westfall. Um, again, those are all probably work-related uh, things why I was not there. But uh, the gist of it is I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I've been to all eight of the player-retired numbers, and um, I'm sure at some point down the road there'll be some more. There'll be some Hall of Fame additions, but uh, they're, they're, it's always a great a great thing to be at one of these things. And what was pretty cool on, on Saturday is 
uh, you know, you know, my two boys who you know, Bradley and Jared, got a chance to go to one of these things for the first time um, for for a team that they root for, um, and, and they were pretty pumped to see it. Uh, we we actually were at the Patrick Elias night uh, for the Devils. They were playing the Islanders. It was the only reason we were there. But uh, you know, my my kids enjoyed seeing an Islander uh, number go up. So that was that was really nice. What was the vibe you think? Uh, compared to you know these two nights, compared to the other uh, times that players have had their uh, numbers retired, I thought personally, and I know, listen, we're in the year 2020, uh, more things can be done in terms of in-game presentation, but I felt this was first class. I thought Ledecky and Malkin, the Islanders, did as good of a job as they've ever done in any kind of pregame ceremony. You know, I I think I think you're right. I think these two, the Tinelli and the Goring, were 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 the two best uh, presentations the Islanders have ever had, and it's clear. And I know this from talking to some people. Uh, Ledecky listened to fans. He 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 looked at uh, the way other teams did this, and they wanted it to be first class all the way. I think the only the only uh, you know nitpick you can say is unfortunately Bossy couldn't be there for the Tinelli night, but. All the retired numbers were, were together on, on Saturday, and it was just a, a wonderful ceremony. And uh, you know, to be honest, I, I, I tweeted this during the ceremony. I think Butch, Butch, the Butch Goring speech, the way that he handled that and thanked everybody and then went to the second microphone and walked around and talked to the other retired numbers, um, to me it was, it was probably the best Jersey retirement speech that, that I've I've ever heard. I think he was just um, outstanding, um, and I, you know, compared to the other nights that the Islanders have re- retired numbers, this one was elaborate. It was planned out. Um, it, it, having the, the the highlight, the play-by-play highlights while the number was going up was just incredible. It gave you goosebumps for both of them, for Tonelli and for Goring. Um, and I just there, there's nothing. Uh, there's there's nothing bad you can really say about either one of them. Um, it's just a, a wonderful job by the Islanders organization planning these two these two uh, days, and um, look forward to seeing uh, how they do this. You know, going forward, I, I think there's probably going to be some more of these nights as they continue to connect with the alumni, and I think you're going to see you know more names go up on and that hall. There, there was only one more name left on the on that Hall of Fame banner. Uh, but I'm sure they'll they'll find room for it to put another one up, especially in Belmont, because there's a lot more names that need to go in the Islanders Hall of Fame. And I know you put out a tweet earlier today uh, saying there's one spot left on who should finish out the banner uh, before it started overall. And uh, your four options were uh, Pat LaFontaine, Jiggs McDonald, uh, the team's original owner, Roy Bowe, and, and Lauren Henning, and it became a bit of a, a two-man race uh, there. I think LaFontaine was leading most of the way and was the last time I, I checked. How did that uh, finish out for you? Well, I mean, it's uh, there's still some time to go. I made it a 24-hour poll, but, but you're right. It became a two-horse race. The first hour after I put the tweet out, um, Pat LaFontaine had a huge lead. I think he had, like, Anywhere between 78 and 80 percent of the vote, and Jiggs McDonald was right around 20. And then I don't know if Jiggs' family and friends uh, found the tweet and started started <laughs> voting, um, but he caught up to the point where at one point there was a one percent difference. And as I look at my phone now, Pat Lafontaine's got 48 percent 
uh, Jigs McDonald 45%. And I kind of figured when I did the poll that it would be a two-horse race and it would be those two. And I think they're the next two that need to be honored in some way. I wrote a, I wrote a, uh, a blog for New York Sports Day you know, a few months ago. Uh, this was actually before they announced Tonelli and Goring's numbers were going to be retired. And, and, I, and I thought uh, that LaFontaine's number at that time, this is before they even announced Goring and Tonelli, um, I, I think they had to retire a number that was post-Stanley Cup era. He connected the, the Stanley Cup era to the next era of Islanders hockey. And I thought LaFontaine should have his number retired next. They decided to do Tonelli and Goring. And listen, there's no, there's no disputing it. They, I think they both deserve to have it done. But I certainly think that the next um, honor, as far as a number retirement, Hall of Fame, however you want to do it, uh, should be LaFontaine. Um, and, and Jigs McDonald. You, you could make the argument that, all right, listen, you know, throw, throw Jigs um, on, into the Hall of Fame to round out the first banner um, and, and then retire Pat LaFontaine's number. But I think without question, those are the two next names that need to have their own nights, um, whether it's at the Nassau Coliseum next year, the final year there, or you know when, when Belmont opens up. I, 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 but it looks like LaFontaine's going to win my – my my Twitter poll, uh, I would retire as number 16. Um, I would probably put Jiggs McDonald on that Hall of Fame banner first to round out that because he's got the connection to the Stanley Cup guys that are on that banner already. Peter Schwartz at Schwartz Sports on Twitter. New York Sports Day is our guest. And, and listen, things were not good between John Tonelli and the Islanders for a long, long time. And we know uh, the relationship between LaFontaine and the Islanders has been fractured. But listen, I think... This new ownership group um, has shown the ability to kind of mend those relationships, and they've made it so important to be part of the Islander alumni family and what they've done with these alumni nights, and they've really brought pride back to what it means um, to be a New York Islander, and I think both John Nelly and Goring uh, made that clear, and uh, you can't help but think that when you look you know, over to the bench, and it's Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo and you know, people that understand what those teams meant and what those teams brought and what that identity between the Islanders and this fan base was. Um, you know, if there ever was going to be a perfect time to kind of mend that relationship, it, it seems to be now. Yeah, they've done a wonderful job reconnecting with the alumni, and I keep reverting back to my kids, but I, 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 I take a lot of pride in, in telling my kids stories about how it used to be on Long Island with the Islanders and during the Stanley Cup teams and uh, the special connection that the team has uh, had, and I think still has today, with you know the Long Island community, that you could, you know, go shopping at Roosevelt Field and uh, and see Islander players walking around. You can go to your local, you know, restaurant and, and see a player in there with his family, you know, eating you know, dinner or whatever. Um, it was just it was that special. It was it was a special connection, and um, I think as the years went on. Um, and things, you know, seem to change with the Islanders franchise. You know, that, that pride kind of got washed away a little bit there for a while with all those things that were going on. But I think throughout the whole thing, you know, the fans never you know, lost hope, although, you know, there were so many bad things that happened to the franchise from ownership situations to the arena mess to, you know, you, you name it what this franchise has been through. But now with Ledecky and Malkin taking over, I mean, everything they have done, um, has just been 
over the top, and they've 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 come through on everything that they've said that they were going to do. I mean, they 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 said they were going to build an arena. The, the the arena's coming up. They went out and you know got the best general manager available. They got the best head coach that was available. And um, you know the two arena thing I think still hurt as far as going after free agent players. I think that's going to be a thing of the past now that. They're going to play in the Coliseum full time until Belmont opens up, and certainly, you know, the new arena is going to help attract free agents. You almost, you almost want to think that if the Islanders either you know, or either already had the one arena set up for for this year, uh, or were going into the new building, that you know, Panarin might have had a different opinion on where he wanted to sign. But I, I think that's you know, only a question he can answer. Um, but but Ledecky and Malkin have really done a great job in reconnecting. Goring talked about that in his speech on Saturday. Tonelli too. Um, when it comes to Lafontaine, you got to remember Joe, and you know this. You know, he had two bad divorces from the Islanders. You know, you had you know the first one as a yep. player when when he was a contract holdout and forced to trade to Buffalo, and then remember he came back when when Charles Wong put that committee together of advisors. Um, and he was he was on that on that committee. He was an unpaid advisor. And uh, when Charles decided he was going to fire Neil Smith after a short time on the job, Pat tried to talk him out of it. Didn't want to listen to him, and he walked away a second time. And I, I've I've seen Pat a few times since then. I I think I know him pretty well, and he seems to be optimistic about. Um, you know, having a future with the Islanders, a future a connection. You know, he did have uh, a night, you know, the, the first time the Coliseum closed down, there was a night where they brought LaFontaine back. He came on the ice for a pregame ceremony to drop the puck. You know, they didn't retire his number or anything, obviously, but he was back, and I think um, I think that was a good sign. He was also there alumni weekend this year. Um, I, I ran into him uh, up in the suites. Uh, so I think, I think, They've done a wonderful job of reconnecting the franchise to um, to the alumni, and I think you're going to see more of a presence and more of these kind of things going forward um, as the Islanders continue to you know to build the franchise back to where it was once before. And Pete, you alluded to it before, uh, and Cuomo before the game, the governor of New York having a press conference after the Goring ceremony announcing uh, what felt inevitable for quite some period of time that the Islanders would be playing a full season at the Nassau Coliseum next year and that any playoff games that happen this season will also be at the Coliseum. And uh, they'll say goodbye uh, to the Barclays Center, only three more games left in Brooklyn, a place that uh, fans didn't like. Uh, I don't think the players liked having two arenas. Uh, Barry Trotz talked about now that things finally get back to normal, but you know, for whatever the reason, they played really well in Brooklyn over the course of these last, uh, you know, four or five years, and uh, it's a place they won a lot of hockey games despite all the strange travel and the uh, staying overnight in hotels and the bad ice and the uh, 8,000 fans. It's a it's a place that they played well in. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of bad things to say about Barclays Center, but it's, it hasn't been all bad. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting dynamic. They they have had a good record there, especially the last you know couple of years. They they seem to you know play well, but irregardless of the of the on ice performance, um, and they, listen, this goes back to when they when they first left the Coliseum to go there full time. It just never felt like home. And I, you know, you know, we talked about this when it first happened. Obviously, it could have been a lot worse. You know, Barclays Center's not around. You know, I don't want to even think about 
you know, where the Islanders are now. They're, they might not be in, in the metropolitan area unless unless they found the keys to Meadowlands Arena and reopened up the doors there and um, and went and played there. But they, they were not going to continue to play in the Coliseum. Uh, the Barclays Center gave them this um, this option to to stick around, a, a, you know, basically a brand new arena, although it was not built with, with hockey in mind. And I I wanted to give it every chance because I was just happy that the Islanders weren't going anywhere, that they were going to be in town. You could still go to the games. Um, obviously, a little schlep from Long Island, two trains to get to Brooklyn uh, was not what a lot of people uh, enjoyed doing. But if you were, you know, a diehard Islander fan and you still wanted to go see the games, it was. You know, it's not like it was, you know, impossible to get to Brooklyn. And it, was still, it was a little longer than hopping in your car and driving to the Coliseum. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it just, you know, even though they had some playoff success there, it just it never felt like home, whether it was, you know, they tried the new goal horn and they didn't let people go down and watch, um, you know, the warm-ups in the class. And these are all things that the Brooklyn people just – weren't used to dealing with when it came to what the the fan base expected when they came to an Islander game, um, but it just it, it never worked out. And the whole you know going back to the Coliseum and and splitting time. You know, as much as I loved the fact that they were going to go back and play some games in the Coliseum, you almost got the impression right away it was it was it was going to be kind of a weird dynamic, and it, it certainly is that. And, you know, Gary Bettman said the other day that a lot of the players went up to him, and that was one of the reasons why they decided to give the go-ahead for the full-time return of the Coliseum before Belmont opens, is that a lot of the players went to Gary Bettman and said, you know, this is a little bit of an inconvenience. You know, it's coming out of the ground now. And I think that's the ultimate reason why they approved you know, playing the games in the Coliseum, is that uh, Belmont's happening. You know, first it was you know, a press conference, and then it was a mm-hmm. groundbreaking, and then you know now you're seeing the arena starting to take shape. And I, if you didn't have this happening, if you still had, well, we're gonna we're gonna break ground. It's gonna happen. I don't think you're you're seeing the Islanders playing full time in the Coliseum and and all the playoffs. It just I think the NHL just decided that hey, look, you know the fans want to go to the games in the Coliseum, the players want to be there. It's right next door to their practice facility. It services the fan base a whole lot better than Barclays Center does. Um, it, it, it's not perfect. Um, there are things about the Coliseum after it was renovated that are, are not great. You know, there's, there's less seats. Um, and while it's still basically the same structure, obviously it looks a little different. Um, still long lines to go to the bathroom. Still long lines at the concession stands. Um, and it's it's not a modern NHL arena, but it is one thing. Brendan Burke said this the first game back at the Coliseum last year. It's home, and it's going to be home for another year. And, and here's my ultimate thing, Joe. I just hope that next year, which will be the final year that they play in Nassau Coliseum because there's no going back once Belmont opens up, is I'd like to see them do a better job saying goodbye to the Coliseum next year than they did five years ago. There were some good things that they did, but I don't know if you were at the last regular season home game, but I was there with my older son. And just the way that they closed it out that night, there wasn't a very elaborate ceremony. I just hope this time around, knowing it's absolutely going to be the last year that they play there, I hope they give the building a proper send-off, especially at the last regular season home game, 
where I would like to see them do a much more elaborate ceremony than they did five years ago. Peter Schwartz, New York Sports Day is our guest. And, yeah, Pete, I was at that last game, and I, too, was extremely underwhelmed. Um, I, I bought that ticket, you know, during, um, you know, the off season just because, you know, I figured the Islanders would miss the playoffs. <laughs> 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 and that would be the last time I'd be in the Coliseum. And um, I guess the, the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and, yeah, I was expecting that they would have uh, big – Big before the game ceremony, and, and they had pretty much nothing. And then the Islanders lost in a shootout and, and blew home ice in the first round, uh, first round to boot. Um, certainly right. made up for it, though, for that game six against the Capitals and, and in that series. I mean, the place was incredible during that series. But, yeah, it was very underwhelming for a final game at an arena and a place where you had won four Stanley Cups. Um, hopefully they get a do-over there and, and make that right. Um, I know you're a sentimental type. Uh, will you be schlepping uh, your way to the Barclays Center on March 22nd for the final game in Brooklyn? Uh, the answer to that question is no, and it's not because I don't want to that night. Um, it's because I, I have to work at CBS Sports Radio that day, and um, so I, I will not be going to that. There, there's not enough of a sentimental attachment for me to rearrange my work schedule that night um if it was if it's if it winds up being a uh, a year from now when we're talking about the last game in the coliseum then you know all bets are off and absolutely i will in, you know intend to be there but actually my family and i are going to say our goodbyes to the barclay center uh, tomorrow night on tuesday against montreal we're going to go to the game and that'll be our last trip to uh to brooklyn now, I, that, that's, the whole family I, the whole—I know your know youngest. Yeah, the, okay. it's it's the whole family that's going. Um, yeah, J- Jared made it clear that my younger son was nine, about almost ten in June. Uh, he made it clear last year once the Islanders started playing games back in the Coliseum that under no circumstances was he ever going to want to step foot in the Barclays Center for an Islander game again. Um, and he stuck to that um, until uh, earlier this year. Um, uh, kind of the ice kind of thought a little bit. He knew that you know the Islanders were good, so the chance to go uh, to a game. Um, and, I, and I don't think it it hurt the fact that we were sitting in a suite uh, for that game. I think he was excited about you know, <laughs> about experiencing what it was like to sit in a suite at an Islander game. Um, and so uh, we were able to get the tickets for tomorrow night, and um, he he'll, he'll he'll suck it up for one more trip to Brooklyn on the on the train. But obviously, <laughs> I, I think I think I think we're all taking a big uh, deep sigh of relief that um, a, after tomorrow night we will not not have to take a train to an Islanders game unless we're we're going to the Garden or going to the Rock. Peter, and before I let you go, just your thoughts on this team. 18 games left to go. They make the Pajot trade. And, um, you know, as I said earlier during my uh, monologue part of the show, uh, they might have lost all three of these last three games if they didn't make that trade, considering that he scored a goal in each of the first two and games they lost in overtime. Um, you know, the fake, for whatever reason, Barry Trotz and this team is still kind of, they kind of still have an, you know, an upbeat attitude. Uh, even though this team had a 6-6 and 3 February, uh, they haven't been very good since Casey Zizekas went down. They really haven't been good since the 17-game point streak. 
Uh, yet they still find themselves in the top wild card spot. And, uh, you know, they win 10 out of the last 18 games. They're going to be right around 100 points and probably in the playoffs. So, so how do you feel right now, 18 games left to go? Well, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, I think when you look at their, their schedule the rest of the way, obviously um, there, there's you know a slew of, of winnable games in there. Look, they're a good team. Uh, regardless of their struggles, I look at that roster and, and, and they're a good team. Obviously they can go through stretches where they're offensively challenged, but I, I think when you look at the core of this team, uh, the goaltending, a uh, very talented group of defensemen, and obviously adding Peugeot up front. Um, I, th- this, to me, looks like a playoff team, whether it's a top three in the division or one of the two wild cards. I, I think this team will be in the playoffs. Um, as far as the way they're playing, um, I, 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 I thought they played really, really well against the Rangers, um, Peugeot's first game. I mean, they just you know uh, couldn't find the net early in the game, and um, you know, other things happened in the course of that you know, contest that we really don't need to <laughs> revisit. But I, I thought the Islanders played very, very well in that game against the Rangers, and obviously not too well in the last in the last couple. But um, I, I think they're starting to get whole again. They've got Clutterbuck back. Um, you know, Andy Green, uh, you know, came back from his injury. Uh, looks like Sezikis is going to start skating pretty soon, um, and 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 they'll get him back in the mix. Um, and, and they've got, they're starting to get their depth back. And I think once that fourth line comes back together and everybody can kind of get, you know, back to what their roles were, um, then, then I, I think, I think they'll be, they'll be just fine. Are they, do they, could they, could they go out and get a, a top flight, you know, score in the off season? Could they make a trade for somebody else? Yeah, obviously. But I think for now, I think this is a playoff team and I, I think they've got, some really good, and they, it all starts behind the bench. Barry Trotz has them believing they play a really good, tight defensive game, which obviously you need in the playoffs. Um, and, and I, and I, from what I've seen the last few games, um, even though they haven't had much puck luck, um, I, I do think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and they'll start to win some games again. And I do think they'll be in the playoffs. I don't, I, I, I think it might be a little bit of a stretch to. Expect them to come back and win the division, even though they're only, I, I guess, you know, seven or eight points uh, um, behind the Capitals, and they're fortunate to only be that uh, distance back. But I, I think the first thing they have to do is just solidify their playoff standing. Know they're going to be in the tournament, and then and go from there. But I, I do think, Joe, long question, long answer to your short question. I do think they'll make the playoffs. All right, Pete. Well, hopefully they do make the playoffs and. We know that uh, the first, second, third, and could you believe it, maybe a fourth round someday, uh, <laughs> if it happens in the next two years, it will be played at the Nassau Coliseum. And uh, I hope to see you for March 22nd. Maybe I'll try to, you know, snag any kind of, uh, you know, goodbye. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be pulling any seats out of the Barclays Center, but uh, <laughs> well, if they're giving away anything, I'll, I'll be sure to give it. I'll be sure to give it to you, and, and you can give it to your son. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a very tearful goodbye to Barclay Center. I, <laughs> and I, I don't think it's going to be tearful on, on, on either end. I don't think the Islander fans are going to be too miserable about it. And I think the Barclay Center people are going to be pretty happy about it, too, because um, they'll obviously get to fill those dates with, with concerts that they probably will make more money with. But um, it is, it is, you could say it's the end of an error, E-R-R-O-R, not E-R-A, 
but without that error, I don't think the Islanders are still in the market. So thankfully the Barclays Center was around when they really needed them. Very true. All right, Peter. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks again to Peter Schwartz. Back to wrap things up in a moment. You're listening to PTIs. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. So I've been away for a little bit and wasn't able to give you my thoughts on the JG Pajot trade. I was in Naples, Florida. First little vacation with uh, the family since my daughter was born. Um, Always a bit of an adventure to get a... um, toddler on a plane she did great on the plane she just had a lot of problems getting there getting to the airport she uh (laughs) she threw up on the way to the airport and then uh, also threw up on the way to the airport on our way back to new york so uh she loves the plane she just hates going to the airport apparently but um it was that uh you know i was excited to be on vacation uh during the trade deadline because you're so used to just being at work and and refreshing and you're gonna miss something uh but it was pretty early in the morning had our breakfast and uh, had my coffee and we're outside and enjoying the sunshine in, in Florida and um, you know you just weren't expecting something to happen that early in the day and boom 10 o'clock in the morning the Islanders trade you know for Pajot the guy who's been rumored for so long uh, to possibly be the target for the Islanders and then of course you wait you know how much did they give did they overpay and uh, you know at, at initial glance a first a second and a third, you go, oof, and that was a little bit too much for a rental. But, you know, right away you see the Arthur Staple tweet uh, saying that given how much Downers gave up, you expect that they think they can re-sign Paggio. And you go, okay, but, you know, I really don't want to wait uh, until July 1st to find that out. And then, uh, you know, a few hours later, um, he's locked up long-term, six-year deal. And, uh, you know, going into this, and I think I talked about this on the podcast we did with Rob Taub and Jay Nichols, that the more and more I thought about this, I was willing to give up that first-round pick plus for a player with some term. And I was thinking about Kyle Palmieri, a player with this year and next year, because I didn't see how the Islanders were going to necessarily get much better in the offseason and improve this roster unless they got very creative, you know, with trades. And um, if you told me beforehand that, J.G. Pajot at age 27, 28, had five years, six years left on a contract um, at, a, at a rate that, you know, $5 million AAV. Listen, that's the going rate for a player who does what he does, let alone a guy who's coming off a career, who will be coming off a career year in goals. He's got a chance to score 30 goals this season. Um, you would have made that trade. And uh, I think uh, Lou Lamarillo and, and Barry Trotz have been echoing that sentiment as well. They have a known commodity here, a guy who does all the things well that a Barry Trotz player needs to do well he adds a dimension and you look at the Islanders down the middle now for this year and the next few years of Matt Barzell Brock Nelson Pajot and Zizekas they're extremely strong up the middle and now it's about getting some wingers to score and that's Wallstrom that's Bellows they need someone in their system to step up and be a goal scorer on the wings 
And if that happens, Islanders are going to be in good shape. And, you know, these questions of whether or not they have a team that can score enough goals, uh, that those questions will start to get answered. And um, I think people will be uh, very happy with the type of lineup they can roll in game in and game out. And let's be honest, they don't make that trade. They may have, may have lost all three of those games against the Rangers, Blues, and Bruins. The game against the Rangers, he knocks the puck down off the Pulak shot off the glass and puts in the easy goal for his first goal as an Islander. They get them on the board, the game they actually end up tying late in the third period to get a point. And the game against the Blues, with his dad in attendance, he scores on the power play, um, gets the first goal of the game. Islanders ended up uh, blowing that 2 nothing lead. So, you know, without that Pajot trade, uh, a good chance the Islanders might have lost each one of those last uh, three games and uh, would not be in a playoff position like they are right now. But he's here, and he's paying immediate dividends for Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo. So that'll do it for this episode of P.T. Isles. Next up for the Islanders, they head home to Brooklyn for the first of the final three games ever to be played at Barclays Center as they host the Montreal Canadiens on Tuesday night. And then they head up to Ottawa for a homecoming of sorts for J.G. Pajot as the Islanders take on the Ottawa Senators. Uh, two games they absolutely need before a game against the Hurricanes and then the always tricky Western Canada road trip. Be sure not to miss this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts by following our Twitter accounts at LHHHockey and at LHH Podcast. You get Islanders Anxiety with Dan and Mike, Isles Buzz with Dan and Noel, Islanders award winners and my favorite Islanders game all on the same podcast channel. A special thanks once again to Peter Schwartz. We'll talk to you next week, Islanders country. Good night.